is from Jonah, chapter, chapters 3 and 4, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 and verse 10, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes or beginning on page number 659 in our worship Bible. Please follow along as I read. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now to chapter 4. But it displeased Noah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee Tar Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching feast wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being at night and perished in a night. And I should not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. This is the, this is the word of God. Thank you, Janice. Appreciate <clears throat> appreciate that very much. Our time is really uh, skirted away from us today, which is good. We've had good fellowship time as well, but it does mean I've got to kind of adjust what I'm going to say to you this morning. So, um, but I'll do my best to make sure we're done in time for breakfast, which I think is at eleven. Is that what it is? Oh, 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 oh! You think it's earlier than that? Okay, very good. 
Very good. Uh, I do want to say one other quick thing, though, just briefly. I did. Uh, I discovered as 2017 began to turn its corner, I was cleaning out uh, a closet of mine and found some old certificates of mine, and uh, you know that I had put, put away. And I I discovered that it has now it will this that this year is a kind of a signal or anniversary year for me personally. Uh, I mean, I graduated high school in 1977, but that's not what I'm talking about. In 1977, I got my first license to preach. Do you remember that, Mom? Bishop Raymond Walfogel at the front? Yeah. Uh, my fr- 40, so that means I've been in ministry as a licensed minister for... How, I can't hardly say those words. How can I be that old? For 40, this is my 40th year. That's pretty amazing. And then I looked, because I saw it on that certificate, 1977. And then I saw also the certificate, uh, 19, also my ordination, which occurred in 1987. So it's, it's my 30th year. Yes, I am an old man. I guess I just am. And, uh, but I, and then, uh, th- so 30 years there. And then also, it was um, five years ago, Easter, when we had our very first worship service as a church. How many of you are here at our very our Easter Sunday service? I, a handful of you, maybe one, two, three, four. Six. Yeah, there wasn't very many of us. Although we did have a pretty good sized group that day on the very first day that we had. And then I discovered one other thing while I was rifling. You know, never go through your old stuff. I found these notes, which lack one day of being forty years old. These are the notes from my very first ever sermon. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I wrote on it February 6th, 1977. You know, I, I remember talking to the preacher and uh, him saying, well, we're going to have a youth Sunday coming up in, in January or February. Uh, since you, and I already told him I felt like I would maybe go into full-time ministry. I had talked to my parents before that as well. Um, and uh, uh, he said, maybe you could preach a, he called it a sermonette. Little did he know. A sermonette uh, in the Sunday night service, and uh, so I ran into those today, uh, yet this week, and I thought that's kind of interesting. Uh, what did I talk about? Uh, <laughs> uh, Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, <laughs> uh, and uh, it was called the blessings of Bible study, the blessings of Bible study, and uh, the front. That, you know, I created an outline type of thing, not like this, but on the overhead projector. As Christians, we all need to be students of God's Word. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Forty years ago. And I've got the same message today, don't I? Sorry. Um, no, 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 no. No, I, I'm just convinced that spending time in the Scriptures is the single most important thing you can do for your own spiritual health. Now, it's no guarantee that you'll get things right because the people who gave Jesus the biggest trouble in His ministry were the people who were smartest in the Bible, right? And, in fact, they rejected God when God showed up. But... So we still have to approach the Scriptures humbly, respectfully, letting them teach us, always holding our notions open before the Lord, but that all is under the assumption that we spend time in the Scriptures. So I had gone through the 119th Psalm, and, uh, 
had thought of all the reasons, the benefits of reading the Bible, the blessings of reading the Bible. And uh, I had seven. Do you want to hear what they were? Uh, it is commanded <laughs> in Psalm 119.4. Number two, it will give victory over sin. You know, that the Bible, you know, thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against. I'm looking at my family because we kind of grew up in this world, you know, that I might not sin against thee or wherewithal shall young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word, right? Um, it will give you strength in tough times. Um, it will give you wisdom and understanding. It will give you direction in life. And it will build new priorities. And you'll be blessed in all you do. So that was the sermon back then. Um, and maybe it should have been the sermon today. <laughs> we have, uh, in some ways, it perhaps is, because I don't know how much I can tell you about Jonah. It is a very, very short book, um, but it's got a very, very big impact in this story. But if you forget whatever I say next, do not forget that it's such a critical um, choice if you're a follower of Jesus to immerse yourselves in the Scripture and to try to get the big story of what God is doing. It's a massive, epic story. And many of you have finished that story uh, now or recently, having read through the whole thing. And hopefully you have been able to appreciate the fact that the story of Scripture is a four-act play, four-act drama about how this world is part of God's design and what God is doing to fix what went wrong and where this world is going. And we just call it this way, beautiful creation, Genesis 1 and 2, that the world was made by God's loving design, and there was harmony between us and God, between us and our, well, in that case, wife <laughs> or our spouse, our, but humans, between us and within our own selves, and importantly, between us and this beautiful world which was given to us to be stewards, and we were God's co-creators, God's vice regents with it. We were made in His image to be His people taking care of this place. It was a beautiful plan God had, a beautiful creation. But Act 2, broken creation, broken creation. God in love made it such that He wanted to love persons to love Him in return, so He gave them the opportunity to respond in love to Him. And instead of being willing to trust God who had given all of these things, humanity decided to distrust God. And the result of that was that all of what God made, which was so beautiful, became marred by human disobedience. And so instead of there being harmony between us and God, us and one another, us and ourselves, us and creation, flourishing this world, cultivating it for the honor and glory of God, everything became dissonant. And so... We felt distant from God. Remember what they did in the garden when they heard God's voice? They didn't walk with God. What did they do? They hid. And they covered up. They felt distant from God. Uh, they felt distant from one another, right? Because, well, he blamed her and she blamed the snake. And we've been blaming somebody for what we do ever since, right? And... Uh, also, they felt that nakedness. They felt ashamed. They felt an interior sense of dissonance that we all feel. There's something wrong. Every human being feels it. And also, then, we took the resources of this world and then, uh, instead of 
shepherding them and stewarding them for the flourishing of them all, for the benefit of everyone, we'd begin to take and take and, and steal and use the, the world just for our own personal selfish uses and abuse the world, take advantage of it, create uh, um, uh, environments which are not health-producing, not flourishing, and all of our culture, instead of being made for the honor of God and for the benefit of this whole world, became a culture to find my own way, to build myself a name like the Tower of Babel. Let's make a name for ourselves, and that's what's wrong. And so that's why creation is broken. Um, like a broken image, you can see still that's why we still love, why we still like beauty, why we still um, have many hopes of a relationship with God and for intimacy with others, but it's always short-circuited by our own selfishness. And it's a problem we can't fix. Act 2 began in Genesis 3 with, you know, the disobedience in the garden, the killing of the brother, the building of creation. Act 3 began in Genesis 12 which is the rescue of creation. Beautiful creation, broken creation, rescued creation. You could say redemption if you like that word better. Rescued creation. When God knew that it, what was wrong with the world could not be fixed by the humans in the world, and he began a massive project of re rescue. And it began with a man named Abram, whom he called out of idolatry and called to himself. And he said, I will make of you a great nation, and through you... All, this is critical, all families of the earth will be blessed. God's plan was for the whole world right from the very beginning, using Abraham. Ultimately, then, through Moses and the people of Israel, um, um, you know, creating a covenant, establishing a covenant with them and giving to them his uh, directives to help them have a flourishing life together, because I think any of us would agree that if we just followed the Ten Commandments, life would be a lot better. We just want everybody to do it, right? And... Uh, even while the commandments were being given, they were, um, you know, at play at the bottom of the mountain, weren't they? And uh, so it was always going to be a difficult part. So God's rescue project ultimately led to the demise of the people of Israel because the people who are meant to be the means of God's rescue themselves needed rescue. And so ultimately the end of that story comes when a man named Jesus was born and became the ultimate final faithful Israelite who died under the curse of the law so that he could pay the penalty for our sin so that we ultimately then could be restored to new life. So rescued creation ultimately begins with Genesis 12 and goes all the way through into the gospel stories when Jesus died for us and gave his life for us. But the grave wasn't the end of the story, and that's why we are in now the fourth part of that story. Beautiful creation, broken creation, rescued creation, and we're calling it now new creation. Because what God is doing is making new what is broken. It will not be finalized until the final day when God comes down to earth, remakes this earth in the final marriage supper of the Lamb. So it will be consummated in the future, but it has been initiated when Jesus raised from the dead. Jesus was restored to new life, and so there is new life springing up. And we then, through his church and through his spirit, are called to become uh, the implementers of God's new creation, to see how to make it work in our world today, to begin to become new creation people. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's new creation. Old things are passed away. 
all things are become new. And so this is why we live in the tension of having the Spirit of God helping us to know how to follow the ways of God, but also having the old ways part of our life. And that's still true in our culture. And we're going to be talking for a whole year, starting in March, on what this idea of new creation is all about. It's a big, big deal. And so that story about God's beautiful, broken, rescued, and renewed creation is the big story of what God is doing in the earth. And as much as I love sports and athletics, chances are, unless you're a Broncos fan, you didn't even remember they won it last year. <laughs> That's how transit, yeah, yeah, I'm sure you'll never forget, yep. Um, the, uh, that's how transitory our affections are. But there's a bigger story, and that's why we gather on Sunday mornings to be exposed once again and anew to the story of God as revealed through the Scriptures, how God did for us what we could not do for ourselves, that through God coming in the flesh of Jesus Christ, the incarnation, and then the resurrection, the death of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus, and ultimately then his ascension 40 days later when he began to rule over this earth and rule through us as well to begin to remake this world, a process which will not be completed until the final day, but gives to us hope even in the midst of this difficult world. Now, those of you who are paying attention are realizing Jonah's going to have to wait. You think I did that on purpose, but that's what I always think when preachers change their minds. But uh, um, Jonah, here's a tidbit of that story because I only have, like, no time left. The story of Jonah is not the story we first think it is when we read it. When we first read it, we think of a guy who's afraid of God's call. But we really see that this story is about God's compassion for the whole world and the sad fact that many of his own people could care less about the rest of the world. That's what that story's about. Yeah. God had called Jonah to preach the gospel or the good news or whatever, preach the message of repentance, I should say, to their sworn enemies to those vile pagans, to the people that were not like them, that they didn't like. He, God wanted Jonah, one of his people, to go and to find a way to communicate and talk about the impending judgment which would happen to them. Jonah ran away, not because he was afraid, but because he didn't like those people, and he thought going to hell was a good place for them. Here's the sad truth. There are a lot of Bible-believing Christians who are a lot like Jonah. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they're, yeah. And that's what that story is kind of about. That's what that story is about. And it's the realization that God, you remember how it goes, right? Well, read it. It's 40, it's four chapters. You know, I could have read it in, to you in less of the time I'm talking to you right now. And it is a story that's giving to us the realization that God has an incredible love for this unbelieving, vile, violent, pagan world. And he sends us to do something about it. And he would like for us to care for people as much as he does. 
Yeah, and that's what kind of the book of Jonah's about. So if we were to move this to the end, of, I'm making up this sermon as I'm going, you can tell. We, as we move to the end of, uh, into this idea of new creation and into the gospel story, that's where we are. We are God's Jonah people in many ways. We're called not to isolate and insulate and, and uh, sit under our vine in our own little holy clubs and wait for God's judgment to happen all the, on all them guys, which is exactly what Jonah did, right? But instead to go and to share the good news about Jesus in every way we can, to everyone we can, even to the people that make us nauseated. And that's the truth of Jonah. That's the truth of Jonah. Well, I hope I haven't offended you. Or maybe I have, and that's good. <laughs> uh, but you want to hear about Jonah? Come back next week. We'll talk about, uh, talk about him much more. Um, and uh, God is always, always doing, doing that. Uh, God had a great compassion for these people. And Jonah ran away. He said, I knew what kind of God you were. <laughs> I knew that you were a forgiving God. I knew that if I told them, I knew this would happen. And what's he complaining about? He's complaining about God's forgiveness, which was given to those people, because he would just as soon as seen God judge them. Yeah. And so, of course, God puts a vine. Jonah's under the vine, and he's so mad when the vine dies. And God says to him, you know, you cared so much about that vine. You didn't create it. You didn't build it. You're ready to die because of it. Shouldn't I care for these people? Shouldn't I? And the implication is that you should care too. So anyway, so we're part of that rescue project, and I encourage you. The Bible is a, a huge book filled with epic stories of one kind or another. You can get lost in the details, but if we continually immerse ourselves in that book, it will change our lives. And we must always be humble as we look at it. The Bible should always step on our toes a little bit. Yes, it will surprise us. It will make us think about things just like maybe you thought, well, I never thought Jonah was about that. Well, yeah, that's what the Bible does. Well, I apologize to those of you who are expecting to hear all about Jonah today. We had a good time of fellowship today. Uh, this is an odd thing for me. If you come here every week, you know, we've never done this before. I always make sure I get that whole sermon in, yeah, no matter how long it takes. Uh, but uh, today, I just wanted to give you that thought uh, because I know we've got people here expecting to serve us, and we need to let them do that. So we're glad that you're here, and I, I trust that you can find uh, uh, in today's message some way of thinking about, well, can I expose myself to that story? And so I would like to invite our servers to come up, if we can, uh, who are going to be serving the Lord's table, and we'll begin to institute that. Because if you think about the story of Jonah, in the first chapter of the story, in the first book, first part of the story, God gave Jonah a very hard object lesson about what was to happen. Jonah was running away from pagan people. Do you remember that? He went the opposite way. And, of course, when he ran away from pagan people, everyone around him in the boat was pagan too, right? And so those pagan people said, hey, why don't you do something to help us? Can't you see we're dying out here while he's sleeping in the bottom of the boat? Jonah gets up, and he tells them the truth. And what does Jonah say? I, if you take my life, you will live. God said, that's the way it goes. You give your life for people 
that, uh, uh, that need to be rescued. And of course, Jesus himself said at the end of his life, do you know, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be in the, the, the belly of the world. Jesus pointed back to Jonah. As Jonah, by God's design, gave his life, I mean, he came out on the other side of it, yes, for the sake of those pagans in the boat, I will lay down my life. And so as we take the Lord's table, we are affirming our confidence in the fact that this God who loves us laid down his life for us. I'm going to say a quick prayer. You're welcome to serve yourself. Don't feel as though you have to, but this table is open to all who profess faith in Jesus Christ. We'd love to have you share this meal with us. There's also some at the back. Kevin will lead us, um, and we will then I will lead us as we all eat together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are willing to give your life for us. We celebrate and honor that today, and we are grateful for your sacrifice for us. In Jesus' name, amen.